So I encourage you to follow along in the reading of God's word today. Therefore, since we have been justified through Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the, this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Earlier in the week, I was beginning to think about this Sunday, and it was with a full sanctuary that I pictured this sermon so now we are gathered under much different circumstances, and yet it seems as if the scripture, at least in my own heart, comes alive even more. It reminds me this Sunday of a brief time in my own life when I served as a Navy chaplain, and I served at Pearl Harbor in the Navy Regional Chapel there, which was right across the street from the pier where all those frigates and destroyers and cruisers were docked. And once a week, I was on the docket to be the chaplain on call. And so sailors would come off their ships, come across the street, usually sent by their chief petty officer to go see the chaplain. But sometimes just on their own volition, they would come. They would come to sit in the waiting room and wait their turn to talk to the chaplain. I know what you're thinking, what sorts of issues would bring them across the street off their ships? Well, first of all, I'd say, come on, you know that's privileged conversation. <laughs> but I'll say this much, it was mostly about heartbreak, lots of loneliness, relationship difficulties, problems with their commands, personal issues. I know, I thought going in, it would have been a lot more regret about a bad tattoo, maybe, uh, deployment trouble, seasickness perhaps, but mostly it was loneliness. I once talked to a young sailor who simply missed his truck back home. <laughs> I kid you not. 
That might have broke some confidentiality, actually. I'm not sure. But mostly it was more serious matters. And typically, they were in breach of their commitment to the Navy, ready to find a way out, looking for a way perhaps they could quit. What happens when that happens? When the situation arises to that level of wanting to talk to somebody, needing to talk to someone, when the wind goes out of our sails, when we start missing even our trucks, <laughs> when we sense the conflict or the strain has grown beyond what we can imagine or manage, when the shadow has loomed so large and so wide that we've forgotten what it might be like to live in the light and in the life of Christ. We've lost the image of God in us. And Paul, in his word to the Romans, would say that happens to all of us, that not one of us is really in a safe kind of place, that we all have this precarious part of life. The grip of life often tightens on us. It becomes difficult to see our lives in a bright light. Paul would say that we have been justified then through faith, that we have peace with God, that we've gained access by faith into a grace in which we now stand. And we boast. We boast in the hope of the glory of God, he says. That's what we get. In the midst of a lostness, we get hope, Paul says. We get hope as a result, he says, of God's glorious act of love, of redemption in Christ. It just may be the only time in Scripture that we're encouraged to boast. Interesting word, and scholars are, are conflicted about the word that Paul uses here. Sometimes it, it's boast, sometimes it's exalt. But what they're conflicted about is it is it more of an idea of let us boast about something really good? Or is it more of a you know, subjunctive kind of word of, or a command like, well, we boast. We boast about this. Most of the time in the Bible where it talks about boasting, it's in a negative connotation. But here it's very positive. We boast about the hope of God. Is that your life? Is that where you are with your sense of hope and life today? I wonder about our posture of hope on a day like this. This strange time we're living in. I keep hearing the word unprecedented everywhere I go. We live in unprecedented days. And it does have that sense. We were wondering just yesterday as we were putting this service together, how many Sundays over the last 55 years or so of Mount Olympus Church that we gathered with an empty sanctuary for worship. Could be a first. Unprecedented days. There's a tinge of sadness in not gathering together today, not greeting one another, not singing together, not opening Scripture as a body together. Yeah, and for me... I could get a little depressed about all of that. <laughs> Anxious, perhaps, fearful. 
I'm reminded of uh, Chesterton's great line about hope. He said that hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it's no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, he says, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. You know, it's hard to read Romans without thinking of Martin Luther all those years ago, way back, 16th century. These verses of Romans chapter 5, they shaped his life. They shaped his way of thinking about God. Luther, as you are aware, was an Augustinian monk, a priest, a scholar, but he was also terrified, terrified about God at times. Like most people of his age, he believed that the deck was stacked against him, that life was short and brutal, and at the end of it was a stern, judgmental God, an angry and fearsome God. So at the end of his life, the expectation was a hell of great torment. A person's only real hope was to make some sort of peace with an angry God. But then Luther started to think more deeply about Romans. What he was reading there of Paul's understanding of how God approaches us in grace. In his monk's cell at his desk, Luther preparing a series of lectures on Romans chapter 5, came across these words, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to the grace in which we stand. Luther said it was as if all truth kind of broke open to him in a brand new way. It just burst upon him in the gates of hope and, and, and life. They, they flew open to him, and it changed everything. The church in that day, Luther proclaimed, had it all backwards. The church was at that time saying that, you know, we had to persuade God to be gracious. Of course, we know the story. Luther said, no pounded his theses onto the Wittenberg church door and declared it otherwise, that God is already gracious, that God is already loving us without our trying to persuade him. It was a whole new foundational way of looking at God. And it began to influence his own heart, how he had lived without much hope that began to change. Hope began to, as Paul would write, pour into his heart. I don't know if you know the rest of the story about Martin Luther, way back, 16th century. Uh, his life came towards the tail end of what was then known as the bubonic plague. It had been, uh, it had been in effect really since the 1300s, the 14th century, all the way through the 16th century, and some say it even lasted up until the 19th century. It would pop up at times. What was known as Black Death, 
just a horrible, horrible plague that was violent in um, how it affected a person's body, transmitted by fleas that would bite. Um, it affected everybody. No one was truly safe from the bubonic plague. And Luther, his family, and those in his community, they lived in fear of this. The gestation period for this disease was like three to ten days. The people were dying on a daily basis. Luther, we've read and learned through the years, uh, was instructed to flee Wittenberg. He was such a hero to the people there. His conviction of faith that we're saved by grace through faith. People wanted him to be preserved. And so they said he had to leave, to get out, to get away from this plague, but he wouldn't go. Here's what Luther said when they were encouraging him to leave, and his words are legendary now. He said, no one should dare leave his neighbor unless there are others who take care of the sick in their stead and nurse them. In such causes, we must respect the word of Christ where he said, I was sick and you did not visit me. According to this passage, Luther said, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but is obliged to assist and to help him as he himself would like to be helped. Isn't that remarkable? Just a unique, different way to approach life. It's hope. The hope of Christ in Luther's heart, not a foolish kind of understanding, but a, a new understanding. It's the embedding of faith, the faith that triumphs over fear. It's an unselfish attentiveness to others that comes out in, in dire times, unprecedented times. It's a boasting, really, a boasting in the hope of God it's a new life. Of course, Luther was reading what we're reading, Romans 5. We read there, as he read, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. and Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. What a great chain of language there. It's been called the doctrine of total crisis. What happens when we are in total crisis? And Paul says, there's this chain that we follow that happens to us. If we ever believe that our faith in God should protect us from harm, this chain of total crisis should disassociate our, us from such a belief. Paul's words here, they just correct all of that. Suffering comes into every life, he says. But there is this unique chain which leads us not into despair, but strangely enough, into hope, to a brightness of outlook and behavior, to a courage and endurance. Paul sees the potential of hard times as potentially bringing this chain of fear and resignation, 
perhaps a chain of withdrawal, a desire to kind of quit, a desire towards self-interest. And he finds then in Christ this chain leading somewhere else, leading into hope, into promise, into life. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character, hope, and hope. Hope is a wonderful thing. It doesn't disappoint us. And literally, what that means is that hope means we're trusting God when we may want to quit, when there's really no reason for hope. It means that we're trusting God against all false hopes. God is not a disappointment. God is a win. God changes us, builds new character, new life into us. How does that work and why does it happen in that manner? So maybe the best line from the text today, and you've probably already identified it, verse 5. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to you. This is a word, poured out, used in Scripture, usually meaning water in the desert that brings life. Been poured out into our hearts like like a starving, thirsting person. God meets us where we have our greatest need for hope, being poured out through the love of Christ. I love the line from Dallas Willard, a contemporary author. He must have known about this too, along with Luther and Paul. He wrote of God's love pouring out into our hearts, saying that the universe then is a perfectly safe place to be. Do you feel that today? Do you have that sense that where you are and what you're grappling with is is a perfectly safe place to be because of the love of God being poured out into your hearts. This is the aha of the scripture today, I think. It's the aha of those times that seem unprecedented to realize that we are already loved by God and that we can't escape it. Paul would go on a few chapters later to to say this. You know these words. He said, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine? And he goes on to list many, many things that might separate us from God's love. And then says, no, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Paul explains that this is what it means to truly be saved. Eternally, yes. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Right when we were powerless, God sends his own son to take the the burden of sin upon himself and to die in our place. Yes, opening up life to us all eternally, but also for now, in the eternal now of God, 
we have been saved. We've been reconciled, Paul says, through the death of his son, but we've been saved through his life. The resurrected Lord came and has life and gives us life, pouring out into our hearts his own love, making this universe a perfectly safe place to be. These are extremely strange days to be living. So much unknown. On one hand, it doesn't seem like there's really anything much at all going on, and why can't we just come to church as usual? Why must we stay away from each other and give that six-foot distance? But on the other hand, there's the potential for so much heartache and trouble. And we have this obligation to take care of each other, to be global partners with one another, to, to really serve each other. What a great opportunity to be the church, not as we come together, but as in a way as we separate. How strange is that? Yet here we are, unprecedented times. And I realize I'm missing my truck today. I'm missing all of you. And I'm wondering what the future will be, how long we'll need to stay away from meeting in person, and we just don't know. You know what I would often do when these troubled sailors would come across the street and come into my office with their sad stories? I'd be sitting there while they're talking. I'd be thinking, and this is, this is bad, actually. <laughs> I'd be sitting there thinking, okay, well, he's almost to the point where maybe he can see that God is a reality and that God already loves him or loves her. Maybe, maybe she's almost there. We have that already. We have that understanding that God has indeed poured out his love into our hearts we already have that, and it's with that that Paul says we exalt, we just boast. That's who we are. We have the hope of God, and it does not disappoint. It's truly a win for us, and it does indeed make this universe a perfectly safe place to be. Amen. Well, we'd like to just have a, a short prayer at this time. And I was thinking this week, well, who should pray today? <laughs> and I, I thought about somebody in my own life who I've seen as the most, uh, one of the most steady, non-anxious people I've known, one of the most hopeful people I've known through the years, my own wife. Uh, so I've asked Cindy to come and to share a prayer with us today. And so just at home or wherever you might be, I invite you to, to bow your heads as together we pray. Please join me as we pray this morning. Oh Lord, you are our maker and redeemer. You formed the earth out of the waters. You made the sun to define the day the moon and stars, to watch over the night. Though we are in separate places throughout our city this morning, 
Remind us that you are very present with us, even as we meet together in a new way. We want to slow our racing thoughts, see beyond the daily news, and expand our view. Though worries about the condition of our world may overwhelm us, and anxieties threaten our equilibrium, we want to recognize your steady presence with us and wait upon you. Take away the power that fear has to consume us. Restore us to a deep awareness of the world as a place that you will never abandon and a place you are anxious to restore and redeem. In you we find strength and purpose and hope. In the uncertainty of our present days, you are our sure and present help and guide. We pause now for a moment to speak the names of those on our minds who especially need your care or comfort. And we think of those whose names we do not know, but you do, who need healing and comfort this morning. As we face ever-changing circumstances, may we be alert for opportunities to show grace rather than acts of self-preservation and stinginess. Help us find creative ways to care for one another, to reach out to neighbors, and to allow you to teach us more about yourself. Use us, O Lord, to help others find their way to you, even as we are finding our way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.